This is Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Lena. I'm Mark. I'm Matt. And I'm Matt. So today we are going to talk about, does God have two wills? And this is something we want to talk about because we deal a lot in the world of decision making, or at least trying to help people make decisions. And so a lot of talk about, I don't know what God's will is, or I need to find God's will, or, you know how do you find God's will comes up in the conversation. And so we thought this would be a good one and informative for people. Yeah. And yet when we're talking about decision-making, what what's usually at the root of bad decision-making is a bad theology proper or uh, an, a, a bad understanding of who uh, God is and therefore what God does. And so that always ends up leading toward bad decisions. So, um, it's important that we understand who God is and how God functions, especially uh, in relationship to mankind. And then a lot of things will become more clear. But there's all kinds of uh, problems that have come up because of people not understanding who God is. And so there's this heresy that is sadly not even considered a heresy in many circles right now called open theism. Um, this is the idea that God knows everything that is knowable. Now, at first uh, glance, that might not sound too bad, but what it's really saying is that God cannot know anything that's not knowable. In other words, since man is created by God, and then they assert that man is completely free, then he's able to make decisions that God could not know ahead of time. In other words, these are the things that are unknowable. So God is essentially waiting for us to act so that he can then react. Uh, it's because those decisions and actions did not yet exist, therefore they're not knowable. Now, that's that's very problematic. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's one guy, his name's Greg Boyd, he's a theologian. Oh, I hate he, to use that. Well, he's, he's a, a bad, bad theologian. theologian. Yes, yeah. So he, he's an open theist. And, and he writes this, he says, in the Christian view, God knows all of reality, everything there is to know. But to assume he knows ahead of time how every person is going to freely act assumes that each person's free activity is already there to know, even before he freely does it. But it's not. If we have been given freedom, we create the reality of our decisions by making them. And until we make them, they don't exist. Thus, in my view, at least, there simply isn't anything to know until we make it there to know. So God can't foreknow the good or bad decisions of the people he creates until he creates these people as they, in turn, create their decisions. Now, that's just obnoxious. But that didn't uh, show up uh, out of nowhere. There's another guy that preceded him. His name is Clark Pinnock. He's now uh, dead, but he was a major force in this whole open theism. And he, he says this, he says, decisions not yet made do not exist anywhere to be known even by God. They are potential yet to be realized, but not yet actual. God can predict a great deal of what we can or what we will choose to do, but not all of it, because some of it 
remains hidden in the mystery of human freedom. Mm. God, too, faces possibilities in the future, and not only and not only certainties. God, too, moves into a future not wholly known because it's not yet fixed. That's so this is this is a these are typical examples of what bad theology leads to. Yeah, if you don't if you don't understand God as he's revealed in the Bible, then that's the kind of gobbledygook yeah. that that you're dealing with. And so there's always the result that once a person frees himself from the absolute authority of scripture, then frankly anything goes. And that's it. There's just Bible doesn't matter or it's just some weird interpretation of the Bible. And now you have no authority except your own reason and logic and, you know, what kind of sounds good. Yeah, very, very frustrating. So all of that has to do then when we're talking about the will of God and the will of man, the only way you can understand your human will and how you and I are going to go about making a decision is going to be by first understanding God's will. And so that's where the topic for today comes up is the nature of God's will or the aspects of, yeah. of God's will. And we would say it needs to be rooted in scripture without that. You're yeah. Open. yeah. Yeah. So the first aspect of God's will uh, is what we would call the decorative or decreed will. Um, this is simply the idea that God brings to pass whatever he wills by making a divine decree. In other words, he's God. And he has made certain decisions, and these are not something that we have any say over or that we even know about. And so this is what theologians would call the decorative will of God. It's, it's a hidden, secret plan of God. It's not revealed to anyone until it actually happens. And therefore, the decorative will, and this is so important to understand, the decorative will of God is not something we can know ahead of time. Yeah, an, an example of this from the scriptures is, is Deuteronomy 29, 29. That, that's that famous text. And it says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. And in the context there, the revealed will of God is contained in the law, um, those first five books of the Old Testament. But we would expand that today to say what's revealed in all of scripture. Yeah. Then there's another passage um, in Romans 9, verses 16 through 18, where it says, so then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but upon God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, so this is looking backward to the Exodus event, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. Now from a human perspective, Pharaoh was just, functioning however Pharaoh was choosing to do uh, to function. I mean, he was making his decisions. He was doing all of his things. But in reality, what we see here in that passage is that behind all of that was God determining certain things would happen and they would happen in a very specific way. In other words, Pharaoh had no ability not to harden his heart. Right. Because God had already willed that he would harden his heart. So, so that's the de- decreed or decorative or sovereign will of God. It's hidden, it's unknown yeah. to man, and it's the way that reality will come about because it's in accordance to that sovereign plan and purpose. But you can only know it after, after the, the fact. fact. Yeah. So that's the first one. The, the second one then, the other, the other part of this is what we call the revealed will. 
Um, sometimes it's referred to as the perceptive will or God's desired will or his moral will, whatever term you want to use. Um, but it's, it's that will that's revealed in the scriptures through precepts, uh, that is clear statements or commands that he's given to us through the writings of the scriptures. Um, and so th this, this will of God can be understood. It's revealed, it's made known, but it's made known through a careful study of the scriptures. Um, and, and beyond that, God calls us actually to make decisions of obedience and submission to that will. So he wants yeah. us to know this. So, so that same passage you just, re uh, just quoted a second ago also has this aspect in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, that's his decorative will. But then the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. Why? So that we may observe all the words of this law. Yeah. Um, another one is Matthew seven twenty one. Um, Jesus there says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. And so the assumption there is that his will's knowable yeah. because it's, you're doing this will. <laughs> yeah. So it's not that we're supposed to somehow divine yeah. some hidden part. It's what has God told us that we ought to be doing and what we ought to be. And that we know is his will. Mm -hmm. um, and so once you start talking about that, though, some people start thinking that God is somehow a schizophrenic or something. Um, but it's not. It's just simply describing two different ways that God has revealed how his will works. Yeah. Um, there's that aspect that he shares with no one, and there's that aspect that he reveals to us. And so what we're going to do now is just kind of talk about what that looks like. But to do it, we're going to have to have certain theological assertions made. Yeah, the, the, then the first one that's really important to understand is, and it should be obvious in the Bible, but um, it, but it's it's God does not sin. Um, you know, there's a lot of passages we could talk about. Isaiah 6 reveals that holy character of God. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Why? For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. And so when you enter into this discussion, you have to begin always with the premise that God doesn't sin, because the moment you do that, you enter into some kind of heretical or non-biblical and yet people do it all the time. When they're hearing us talk about stuff like this, they that, that they want to immediately then say, well, then God sins. And it's like, no, he doesn't sin. Yeah. And you can say it all you want, but the Bible is clear he doesn't, so we're going to stand firm on that. But there's also other things. Um, we, we see that the Bible states that there are things that God desires or wills, but they don't actually happen. And that's important that we acknowledge as well. So 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, that just doesn't happen. Not everyone is saved. Um, and so in some way, God is expressing his desire on something, and yet it's not being accomplished. I yeah, guess. and that's where you, you know, I think you said it, where it kind of sounds like God can be a schizophrenic. You know, if he's sovereign, if he's in control, and he has a, a desire that will come about, his, his ordinance will stand. And then here we have a statement that God desires something, namely all men to be saved. How the heck does that work? Well, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> You're going to have to wait and we'll get to it. Yeah. So, uh, but it's clear. I mean, he has a will and a desire in, in one sense or one. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm just saying. Well, well, Mind blown. Well, actually... This is, that's the point. There yeah. is a mysterious aspect of the, the nature of God. And 
um, it's it can yeah. be a little exasperating as you're dealing with. It's like, okay, how's that work though? And this is it's the hard stuff of theology because we want to have everything in that that box that makes yeah box logical nice, right? sense. Yeah, sure. And so, like, the open theist is going to take that passage, Mark, and and say, well, see, God does desire everyone to be saved, but since He can't know our decisions, right? It's up to us, right. and if we're willing to believe and be saved, that's great, but. Right. You know, it, it really lands on the free will of man, and you're going to hear a lot of people say it in various ways. So, um, it's it's a legitimate issue. Yeah. Too often, though, there's not enough careful thought on actually what's going on in any one of those contexts. So, all that goes back to the mystery of God. Yeah, and that that's what we would say. I mean, you have to begin with that. Is is in some sense you have to be okay with embracing mystery, with which is true with just about any theological topic or doctrine you come to well yeah I, I mean how does god know and hear all the prayers of all the saints who are praying at any given moment and mm -hmm. we say well because he's omniscient it's like okay but that's a nice word but we don't understand in all reality we have no idea we what never omniscience sit down and means. actually think about it yeah like he's actually yeah. this is actually happening um oh, it just yeah, Psalm Psalm seven to do another one um, says that God is angry every single day at sin, and yet He is also rejoicing at the same time as a sinner repents. So, so how does He take pleasure in people and yet at the same time be grieved? Yeah, I mean, He, he so He's experiencing two emotions. We'll call them at once. That that is hard to make sense of. <laughs> so, so mystery is is a beginning place, a good beginning place with this. And becoming comfortable with that. Yeah. So what what does the scripture say then about the will of God? Well, first of all, we have to understand that God is in control. And and that's one that you can't underestimate because it is truly the basis of all Christian hope. Um, God is in control of everything. Amos 3, 6 says, if a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs, that's literally the Hebrew term for evil, if a, if a calamity or evil occurs in the city, has not the Lord done it? That, you know, that's a tough one to wrestle with. Well, my favorite is, it's not a pleasant favorite, but it's a favorite, is <laughs> Isaiah 45, 7. The, the one, Yahweh, forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being, and, and then in creating calamity. Again, it's the Hebrew word for evil. Um, I am the Lord who does all these. <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. there's not any wiggle room there. I mean, twice now we've seen Amos and Isaiah. Yeah, this calamity or evil has happened, and who is ultimately behind it? It's God. Yeah, and and what's interesting is you'll hear theologians talk about Amos three, and they'll say, "Well, that's in reference to things like natural disasters and you know hurricanes and things like that." I'm like, "But are not people dying? Are is not suffering happening? Is not um, it, 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 hardship being uh, inflicted onto those people drive me crazy because yeah. it's a cop. It, it's again, it sounds good until you start scratching at it. Yeah, you know, tell that to the poor mother who was barren for thirty years, finally gave birth to a child in time for a typhoon to right. sweep it out, the baby out to sea and drown. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, that's not evil. That's a calamity. It's like you know, um, it doesn't quite fit so clean. Yeah. Um, uh, just a, another one, though, because in, in light of decision-making and knowing God's will, in Lamentations 3.37, it says, Who is there who speaks, and it comes to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Yep. 
And so here you have this kind of dual mm-hmm. thing happening. Now, those passages, though, will not make sense if we're able to say that somehow God's will can be ultimately thwarted. And so, again, we're, we're acknowledging that there's passages like uh, what Paul said, that God desires all men to be saved, and yet they're not all saved. And then on the other side, we see this absolute nature of certain statements in the Bible that these are these things are functioning simply because of God's will. So let's let's give some examples yeah. uh, so, of how that works. Okay, so um yeah, with with the two wills of God. So let me just give I'll just read two that are that are dealing with that first aspect of, of God's will. Um in first Peter two uh and thirteen through fifteen, it says Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Why? For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so here it's clear. This is one of those precepts. God's will is that you submit yourself to governing authorities. And that's just one that's laid out for us. The American church stinks at that. Yes. Um, to give another example of one of these precepts, in just a couple of chapters later, in First Peter chapter four, um, verses one through two, it says, "Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Why? Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men." but for the will of God. And so here it's just um, enduring suffering because that's God's desire. Yeah. It's his will. He's revealed that to us. These are things that God has given to us that we know are his will. We don't have to scratch our head. Yeah. So there's also though passages in the same book um, that deal with God's, um, God's will. It's something that God is doing. So do you have those yeah, I can just read them since I have it open. Um, 317. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. All right, so now, we're, it's not saying this is God's will in every time, but if God has willed it, what his will is, is that we suffer for doing good. Yeah, and then in 419, therefore those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So how do we know if it was God's will for you to suffer for doing right? Because you did. Right. It's looking it's, <laughs> looking backwards. Yeah. I, it's, it's so simple, though. People say, well, how do you know? You're, you don't know ahead of time, so you just continue to move forward in faith. Trusting God and being obedient to the precepts that he's given, yeah, right? Yeah. This is God's will. This is what God's called me to do. And then if things happen to you or things hap- take place, we know that ultimately that is what it is. Yeah. And now we're, now we're still called in light of those events uh, to function obediently to God's revealed will. That's, yes. We're going to say that in every possible way. The Christian is always responsible not to know God's decorative will because he can't right. until afterward but to be faithful no matter what is unfolding before him to pursue what god has revealed yeah and it, i mean it's that statement we keep making is people want to know that secret one but yet how often do they fail and just walking in obedience to those ones that have been revealed say that one more time i don't think people really <laughs> grasp how simple it is 
and yet how important what you just said is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you talk to him all the time is people want to know God's secret will for their life in some aspect. I mean, whatever the decision might be, and they go nuts trying to find it or figure it out or what's the technique or mechanism. But in reality, they walk in absolute disobedience to what's been revealed, the word of God, those sim- simple day-to-day precepts that we're all called to walk in. Yeah. So here's another example where we see the preceptive or yeah, the preceptive will and, and the decorative will. So in John 13, two, it makes it clear that the devil was seeking to have Judas betray Jesus um, so that he would be killed. Yeah. So we, we can look at that and say, so who is at work uh, in the life of J- Judas so that Christ would end up on the cross? We'd say Ju- uh, Satan is. And, yeah. and so we see that and we see disobedience, that he was not being obedient to the will of God. Yeah. But then in Acts 2.23, uh, Peter tells the people, this man, Jesus, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. So Peter then turns around and says, true, what Judas did was sin. True, it was godless, and yet it was also God's will. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't relieve Judas from the responsibility or Satan of their sinful actions that they were in disobedience to God's revealed will that you don't deliver people up to be murdered. Um, (laughs) Well, yeah, it's a sin to kill the son of God, right? Yeah. And yet God's utter sovereign will from eternity past, according to his foreknowledge and plan, predetermined plan was shot through with sin. Right. So you have what? The betrayal, the denial, the lying witnesses, the mocking laughter, everything. All of it, not to mention just the killing, um, is sin. <laughs> yeah. And yet, God was through and in all of yeah. that for his own perfect purposes that we call the death of Christ yeah. for our salvation. So that's, that's what we're trying to ha- have the listeners see is that people say, yeah, but that's sin. I'm like, yeah, it is sin. And yet, in, and through it, in all of that is still God's uh, will. And how that works. And they say, well, then you're making God guilty of sin. No. Yeah. Which is why we said one of the first things we have to say over and over again is no, God is holy and God cannot sin. But when God deals with what we would do as call sin, he, he alone is able to remain pure and use it for his holy and righteous purposes. Yeah. So, so what, what's in, in, to kind of reiterate, what's important to understand is there is a sense in which God's will fails, um, but it's what will are we talking about? It's that yeah. perceptive will. Right. So his sovereign will, that decreed will, will always come to pass. But his revealed will, that that desire, those precepts for what he wants us to do, can fail and obviously often does. Yeah. <laughs> so there's another kind of cool passage um, in Revelation 17, where um, in that passage, in verse 8, it talks about the beast, which there's no good thing about this beast. He's coming up out of the abyss. In uh, verse 12, it describes these 10 horns who are then described as 10 kings. In verse 14, they wage war against Jesus Christ, which is sin, right? We're not allowed to fight against Jesus. Um, In verse 16, they're going to turn around and also betray and destroy the harlot, which is murder and betrayal and lying and all of that good stuff. So here, here, what you have is you have people fighting against Christ, that's sin, Lying, betrayal, murder, all sin. But then in verse 17, 
it says this. It says, for God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. Bam. So we have on one level, all of their sin, their evil, their, their vile nature. And on another level, it's the reality of God's perfect will being laid out. And if you can't become comfortable with both of those coexisting together, then you're going to go crazy. Yeah. And another mysterious one is, is how in the Bible it says that God is actually the one um, that hardens the heart so that it doesn't believe or obey. Uh, and so we have a, a clear example of that in the book of Exodus. Um, scripture is often clear that God is working in, in men's heart so that they, they do hold to things that God hates. And so we see in Exodus 8, 1, Moses says, thus the Lord, thus says the Lord, let my people go. So there's a, a revealed will. Let my people go. That's the command. That's the precept. And yet in Exodus 4, 21, 7, 3, 9, 12 through 14, in a few other passages, it says over and over again that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. God's the one who does it. Um, in fact, I'll just read it so people don't think I'm lying. It says, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your mouth. So God's done this. I've done these miracles, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Yeah. I mean, Make sense of that. And yet, <laughs> the same God who's saying that is the one who's telling Moses, go tell Pharaoh that I'm telling him my will is that he let his, the people go. And then I won't let them. And again, people will struggle over that. They're like, that's not fair. It's like, you don't get to make the rules. Yeah. This is, again, getting back into the nature of God and coming to grips that whatever you think you have on God, you have nothing because he's the creator. You're not. And, and so Paul picks that whole point up in Romans 9, verse 18, and he gives commentary on it, and he brings it to a conclusion. He says, so then he, he being God, has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. And so from one perspective, you, you look at a human perspective, and you see a person with a hard heart, and your heart breaks, and you call to them to repent, you call to them to obey and to turn, um, and you're appealing to their will because that's all you can do. But if they go to the grave with a hard heart, you're ultimately left with a passage like Romans nine eighteen that God hardened their heart, and and people don't like that. They struggle over that, and I can I can appreciate that. But it doesn't make these passages go away. And trying to come up with some horrendous doctrine like open theism doesn't fix it. It just makes makes the mess a different mess and and now you're outside of scripture so it's a real big mess if it will yeah um another aspect that we see this mystery is for instance when it comes to god and his desire about punishing the wicked and we have two references um in ezekiel eighteen twenty three, it says this it says do i have any pleasure in the death of the wicked declares the lord god um rather than that he should turn from his ways and, and live. And so here's a statement that God seemingly rhetorically doesn't have desire in, in putting anybody to death. And everyone uses that. I mean, we were just looking at a, a document the other day, and this is one of the passages that they refer to as, see, God, God wants everyone saved, and no way would he ever harden anyone. But 
you're going to disabuse that right away with this other passage. Yeah, um, in in 1 Samuel 2.25, it says, If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. So why in that text, why didn't they listen to their voice? For this reason, the Lord desired to put them to death. And the word desire there is, is the same word that we see in Ezekiel 18.23 with pleasure. It's a brutal passage Same term, right yeah, there. yeah. And so you have to hold these both together. Um, you, you can't privilege one over the other. We have our, you know, one that feels more loving or that we just rest our souls a little bit more, but both are true and both must be held up as true. And and I would I would even say that one of the common struggles is you, you tend to go on one side or the other. Um, you're going to be all about the sovereignty of God and his de- decorative will yeah. um, and kind of forget his preceptive will, which you see a lot of angry Calvinists, right? Cage I mean, stagey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're all about the sovereignty of God, but you look at their life and you're like, dude, yeah. you're not even remotely <laughs> doing the will of God. Uh, and then you have other people who are really reluctant to as- assign that aspect of God's sovereignty, even though the Scripture makes it clear. Um, and, but they're over there in that preceptive side and that gracious side. Um, neither one all by itself is right, though. We have to keep it in balance. So here's one more just to make it as brutally clear as we can. In Psalm 5.5, it says very clearly that God hates all who do iniquity. There's no way around it. That, that's what it says. Um, and it's a good passage to quote about God's relationship towards sinners. But then in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, well, which one is it? It Does he love us or does he hate us? We're yeah. both, both, in both situations, we're people of iniquity or sin. And yet in Psalm, he says, I hate all who do iniquity. And yet in Romans 8 or 5, 8, he says, I, I show incredible grace. So you have both of those going on and you have to become comfortable walking that balance which drives people nuts because (laughs) you want to know you know and you just it not even in your own life you just want to make sense of these things because you want to understand the person of god and yet he i feel like sometimes he reveals these things so that we might not figure out or just reveals how infinite he truly is we just can't understand it well and that's what i mean that's what really paul is saying then in romans 9 because his ultimate point because people say well this is not fair who can resist him then? He says, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? And then he frames it in that creation terminology, right? Uh, you're, you're the pot, and God is a potter. Um, and, and, you, and you just have no right to answer back to God. It, it is. It's wrapped up in his mystery. So with that in mind, then, what does that have to do then with us making um, a decision. Yeah. Well, the first thing that I think we would say is when you're in obedience or submission to God's word, at that point, you're now in harmony with that perceptive or that revealed will. Um, and at the same time, you're in harmony with his decorative or sovereign will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but if you're not walking in accordance to obedience of, of, of God's word, you're not in harmony with that perceptive or that revealed will. Um, and yet at the same time, you're still under that sovereign or decorative will, which is bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
And again, this is where some people start shaking their head and like, I'm turning you guys off. But that's that's what it means. I mean, yeah. God is sovereign and he's he's unfolding his plan. So was it was it the will of God that Judas betrayed Jesus? No. And yes, mm-hmm. both of them are true. And so where we get into trouble is we start to think that, well, since it was God's decorative will that I sin, it must be okay. Right. And you'll go to hell doing that. Yes. That's a really good way to go yeah. to hell. So, you know, our job is go. the one, I say this constantly to people when I'm giving them counsel. Our job is to live in the balance of that Deuteron- Deuteronomy 29, 29. We want to know the secret will, but it belongs to God. Um, or those secret things. We just want to know what, what, what do you want to do? Who should I marry? What's this? What's that? Those things belong to God. Our job is to do the things that he has given to us, that he's revealed to us, so that we might walk in accordance to his word. It's that simple, and that's our decision-making. If you were to sum up how to make a good decision, you know the word, know what is commanded, and now you know the mind of God. Go do that. Mm-hmm. Be busy doing that, and let everything else unfold. Yeah, and this is true also for people who are walking through a trial or suffering um, and I don't say it flippantly, but people always want to know why, why God, why me, why now? Um, and, and our response and counsel to them would just simply be, here's what the scriptures say. It says, don't worry about it because you can't know. You'll drive yourself nuts trying to figure that out. But what you can do is walk in faith in the midst of that trial, because the revealed will of God is that you persevere. Now, I mean, what that looks like in its details will determine on your situation, but Nevertheless, we have this revelation that you're to walk in perseverance and in faith before God. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really that simple. What would you say, though, about um, when it comes to the idea of God's will uh, regarding salvation or evangelism? All right. Well, we've had this. We've had people in our church who would, in, the, in years past, would tell me, if God is sovereign, then all who are ordained to be saved will be saved. And we don't really need to do anything. Um, that is a classic example of living in the decorative will of God. <laughs> and, you know, I would look at them and say, wrong. The revealed will would be in like Matthew 28, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What's God's will? that we are to be bringing the gospel throughout the world. We are to be involved in missions and evangelism. So when we look out at the nations and we look at our neighbors, we have to look at them with the eyes and heart of God, that he has a care, he has a compassion, because over and over again, the Bible says so. And that cage, what you call them, the cage Calvinists? Well, I don't, but people do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> They're I, in the cage state. Yeah, yeah. And that everything's about his sovereignty. Yeah. And one of the things they tend to really do poorly is evangelize. Yes. Because they're so busy trying to get you converted to God's utter sovereignty that they somehow lose sight that God is also incredibly compassionate in that sovereignty. And he does not tell us exactly how all of that works out, but he has given us the means, the gospel, and then going out with the, uh, the gospel through evangelism. So we don't want to lose heart. God is our shepherd. He has decreed, though, that people will come. Uh, Revelation 5 makes it clear that from every tribe 
and nation and tongue. There are people who will repent and believe. So we have that confidence that God's decorative will will be done as we go out faithfully obeying his preceptive will, which is bringing the gospel. So people say, I don't know if I said enough. I don't know if I said it properly or good enough. My answer to them is, did you give them the gospel? Yes. All right. Then you were at least faithful. Yeah. Um, if they came and they, and they ultimately believe, it's not because you were so clever. It's because God worked. And if they don't, God didn't work. But you were faithful with what God has revealed. So it's that balance. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know there's elect. If you're a foreign person, you know there's elect. You don't know who they are. But what's been revealed is that you are to constantly bring the gospel to people not knowing who they are. And so this, this fuels, this fuels your evangelism and your missions. Cause you know, there are people out there and they will come to faith because you preach the gospel. And that's a certain truth that we have. Yeah. I, th- I think it was uh, Charles Spurgeon. I've heard it attributed to various people, but I think it was Spurgeon that said that if he, if the, the elect of God had a yellow stripe on their pit, Back, then he would just go and evangelize them. But he says, since God has not chosen to reveal to us who his elect are, his task is to go to all men and preach the gospel to them all. And it's that simple. But in that, there's going to be that uncomfortable mystery. And we have to learn to become comfortable with not knowing what God has ordained, but we do know what God has revealed and then go do what he's revealed. It's that simple. Mm-hmm.